And so here we are uh, on this Sunday, November 1st, before the elections, essentially election weekend. And I want to talk briefly for a moment about our responsibility as Christians as we, as we look at what's going on all around us and um, the crazy season that we have endured over the last many months. I want to read from 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 6. It says, this is Paul, and he's talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now, the reason I read this to you, I just want to remind you of who we are as God's people, remind you of who we are as we come to this moment of being involved in our civil discourse, in engaging in the incredible opportunity and freedom we have to vote. And I want to remind you of, a, of three things, really, three things that you and I need to do as Christians. And so the first thing that this passage tells us to do is pray consistently. Pray for people. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those in authority. We are people of prayer. We pray and we're the ones who have the responsibility to carry this idea. We're the only ones who can pray. We're the only ones who can talk to God about what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our cities, and what's going on in our communities. And so we have to have a posture of prayer as God's people. Number two, I want you to think deeply. I want you to think deeply about the issues. Think dif deeply about uh, the economics, the government ideas. I want you to think deeply about freedom, about all kinds of things that are on these ballots. And it's important that we don't check our brains at the door as Christians. We need to do the research, we need to talk about it, and we need to think deeply about the issues that face our time and our culture. And so I want you to do that. It's so important. And there's lots of resources out there uh, for you to, to do research, but it's really important that you think deeply as a Christian. And then number three, I think we have to vote humbly. We vote humbly. We exercise this right, this privilege to vote with humility, not as an obnoxious loudmouth, but as a humble follower of Jesus. It's so important for us to remember that we are followers of Jesus first, and then we are, a US, we are U.S. citizens. We are, we are Americans second. We are a son or daughter of the king in a kingdom, and then we are Americans. And so it's so important for you to realize this. So I want you to, I want you to pray consistently. I want you to think deeply. I want you to vote humbly. Because here's the, here's the most important thing that I want to say about this. And it's a question. I want to ask you a question. I want you to wrestle with this question. Because the question is, how will you respond if your candidate does not win? How are you going to respond 
if the candidate you vote for does not win in the election? This is an important question. You need to decide how you're going to react. I want to suggest to you that regardless of uh, your political affiliation, that you and I have an affiliation with someone much more important and significant. His name is Jesus. And I know that there are people in our church from both political parties. We have, we have Democrats and Republicans and a few of you Libertarians are here. And so, it's so important that we recognize there's a spectrum of, of this, these perspectives, these political perspectives in our own community. And here's, and here's why this is so significant, because half of our country is going to be um, elated at the outcome, and half of our country is going to be really brokenhearted at this outcome. Sad, upset, maybe even angry. But here's, we can't get around this point. You and I are people who follow Jesus, and that means we are people who stand for healing and reconciliation. We are people who have the responsibility of helping others heal. And when they're brokenhearted, we put our arms around them and say, it's going to be okay. And that's who we are. How we respond to this election will shape our relationships going forward. How we respond to this, what happens over the next few days, will affect our reputations and our opportunities to accomplish what God's put inside of us in His purpose. What God's purpose is for us to be con continue to be salt and to be light in our communities. And so we have to think about this. No matter who wins, our role stays the same. No matter who wins, our job, our purpose doesn't change. Because, and here's why this is so important, too many of us, too many of us as Christians in America have been more discipled and more influenced by our politics and our news media and, our, and our, uh, the, the, the things we watch and the people we listen to. We've been more discipled by these things than by Jesus himself. And it's not right. The filter we look at everything through ends up being a political filter. And that, that's not how we should live as Christians, as Jesus followers. We, we have to work to do, we have work to do in the way we act. We have work to do in the way we think. We have work to do in the way we interact with others, in the way we follow Jesus himself and how that translates in our culture and in our society. And this, listen, the truth is the pandemic kind of tore away the curtain, the, the veil that was covering all this stuff. And everything got ratcheted up and the, the pandemic really revealed so much about who we are as God's people. I think specifically in America, the church, Big C Church, not only one chapel, but the church is undergoing a reformation. Yes, a reformation, a change, being reformed, reshaped. We're having to be renewed because... We've been exposed during this season, during this pandemic season, as disconnected consumers of church rather than the loving and loyal family of God 
that maybe we wanted to be or we hoped we were. And, and here's how it worked. I mean, listen, we lost our Sunday services and that was a bummer. We didn't know what to do. We were all scrambling and then everybody got online and all of you, I mean, I mean, you went for it. You got online and we, our online attendance surged and then you got tired of that too. And that's just the way it's been. And I'm so grateful you're here like today and, and that there's, there's a, an opportunity for us as one chapel to be in this space. And I think we have to be in this space, this online space. It's been a neglected space where people gather and we're going to do better and better at making sure that we are here and representing Jesus in this environment, in this online world. And so I'm grateful you're here. We're going to stay here. But we, we, just like a consumer, we kind of thought it was neat and then we got sick of it and tired of it. And then... We tried to meet outside and then it was hot and then, and then, you know, it's again, we kind of crest the wave of, okay, what are we doing now? Give me the new thing. Give me the, give me the next thing. And I think, I think we're being exposed as people who have all these filters, all these convenience filters, these consumer filters and these political filters. We see the world through these lenses. And I think Jesus is pointing it out and he's helping us. He's helping us see who we really are, admit who we really are, and then turn to him and say, Lord, please forgive us. We repent of this. We don't want to be uh, American Christians. We just want to be Jesus followers. We don't want our role as a Christian to be summed up in a political party or a political perspective. We want to live in a way that represents Jesus in everything we do. And I want to suggest to you that when we're, as we're coming back into church, right? Like, like, like we've been meeting outside for three months and now we're getting ready to go back indoors next week. And there is going to be a tendency to think in terms of like, we're all, we're all going back to the way it used to be. I don't think that's true. There's a tendency for all of us want to pull it all back together after the pandemic, after the election, after all, we got to pull it all back together and make it back into what it was. I don't think we're ever going back. I think there's only a way forward. And we must forge ahead into what God is reshaping and reforming in us as his church. And I think we're being pruned. I think we're being purged. I think we're being purified for greater influence and kingdom work in our nation, in our city, in our community. And I want you to embrace that because if we, if you and I don't embrace, that's what God is doing seemingly as he works in us and, and on us and through us. He's reframing how we're going to live out this gospel that we confess and how and how we're going to live in a surrendered way versus the American way of doing church that we've known. I want us to embrace Jesus's ways. And when we embrace his ways, I, I, I must I must tell you, it looks a lot more. It looks a lot more like sacrifice and surrender than it does convenience and consumer. And I, I want to compare and contrast that for you in just for, for a few moments here. And I promise I'm going somewhere. Just, just stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm heading somewhere, okay? 
when I contrast the American approach with Jesus' approach to the kingdom of God and to what, what we're living out as, as Christians, the Jesus way often is about interruptions instead of intentionality. You know, the American, ch American church, we got to have intentionality. We got to be purposeful. We got to be target driven and we got to have our, our way of making stuff happen. And we got to be intentional about everything. I find as I read the scriptures that Jesus's way was a way of interruptions. You just look at like the gospels over and over again. Matthew 9 is a great example if you want to read it. Jesus is just on his way to lots of different things, lots of different places. And he runs into a funeral with a dead girl. He runs, he, he, he's dealing with a, a woman with an issue of blood that touches the hem of his garment. He's got people showing up asking him to come somewhere. He's, he, he heals a, a guy's uh, hand that's been shriveled up. And he just, like he's, like he's just going from one thing to another. And it's not like it had like this, this agenda of the day. He's being interrupted over and over again on his way somewhere. I think we have to make our peace as Americans with being willing to be interrupted. And man, we are so scheduled. We are so, like, like we, we've slowed down during the pandemic. I think God was trying to teach us something. Slow down. Be willing to be interrupted. Be willing to be attentive to what I'm doing. God himself wants us to hear. He wants us to hear him. Be attentive to what I'm doing, he's saying to us, and be willing to be interrupted. A second way that the American church, I think we, we end up gravitating to methods when the Jesus way is really about, is really all about meals. <laughs> you see Jesus, he was always sitting at the table with people, whether it was his disciples, Jesus's way was about communion with people not about a bunch of methods. Sometimes I, I really think we're the best in the world as Americans at being innovative in methods to share Jesus, for sure. But I think in doing that, sometimes we miss what Jesus himself was showing us. Story after story about Jesus had him reclining at a table with, and sharing food with strangers or, or friends. I mean, the, the quintessential Last Supper, right? That's... The Lord's Supper, that's, that's a picture of Jesus at a table, but there's lots of other tables that he was at, lots of other food he shared with others, including the feeding of the four and 5,000. Jesus was accused of eatings with, eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was, uh, he was um, inviting himself one day to Zacchaeus' house, a tax collector, for dinner. Jesus reveals himself at a, a moment over dinner when he breaks bread with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in breakfast on the beach. It seems like Jesus is hanging out, eating food, and I love it. I mean, this is the city for eating, and it is the city for foodies. I mean, this we have the place, we have the opportunity. If we will recognize that Jesus' way was communing with people around a table, rather than trying to establish all kinds of methodology. Finally, G the Jesus way centered around a lot of questions where the American way tends to settle around a lot of answers. Jesus 
had a lot of questions. We in the American church, I think, maybe tend to give too many answers. I want you to consider this. So often we want to convince people by our argument and by our knowledge. And we want to convince people of who Jesus is. When in reality, Jesus, as he went around doing good and engaging with people, an interesting fact about the Gospels is that Jesus asked 307 questions throughout the Gospels. He is asked 183 questions. In other words, people ask Jesus 183 questions. And do you know how many he answers? Three. Three. Three, three out of 183. Asking questions was central to Jesus' life and teachings. In fact, for every question he answers directly, he asks literally 100. I mean, think about that. Sadly, I think we have to do less talking and more listening. I think we have to invite conversations instead of try to dominate them. I think we have to realize, and listen church, that we have to realize that politics is going to be part of every conversation in our culture right now. In fact, even spiritual conversations are going to have political overtones in them. There's just no array around that in our society and in, in this world we're living in. And please understand, we, you and I, have to be the best at having good spiritual conversations with each other. We, and, and therefore, we have to be good at wrestling through the political conversations with each other. I fear that we don't do that well. We don't do it as well as we should. And I want, I want you to realize that it's so easy to just opt out. I heard recently from some people that were a part of one chapel and they decided to, to leave our church because of what somebody else had posted on their Facebook page. Like, this is, this is, this is the problem. Like we have to be the kind of people who understand that there's a spectrum of perspectives and ideology and, and political persuasion and that's okay because our name is One Chapel and that was Jesus' prayer. And Jesus' prayer is our namesake where Jesus called out to his Father and prayed for his disciples and said, Father, make them one like you and I are one. Little did I know when I, we named our church that, that it would be so hard in 2020 to draw people together, to strengthen one another in unity regardless of who we might vote for. But I want you to realize that One Chapel is a church for everyone. It's a place where everyone is welcome. We're always going to be a church that embraces people regardless of where they are, regardless of their politics, regardless of their spirituality, regardless of their intellectual per perspective, regardless of their emotional makeup, regardless of their relationships. This is a place where people 
can find the love of Jesus because they are loved and accepted. I think we always have to find a way to represent Jesus in our conversations, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to help them turn their attention to maybe God's love, to help others discover that God is already at work in their lives and they didn't even know it. Here's, here's, now here's where we're going. The scriptures point to over and over again in the gospels that Jesus was really interested in spiritual conversations. Over and over again, he believed that the kingdom of God was like a seed and that kingdom, that kingdom seed could be placed and planted in a person's heart. And as it was planted in the heart of a person, then it would be wrestled with. The soil would begin to surround it and provide opportunity for the kingdom of God to begin to grow. He reserved most of his explanations, Jesus did, for the disciples, but, but most of the time they had to ask for it. Jesus seemed to have believed that if God was already at work in the world, then he was simply trying to collaborate with him day to day, working through a process. And, and this, we should learn the lesson of what Jesus was because he, he was an instigator. He started conversations, he asked questions. We have to, like Jesus, be opportunity seekers for these spiritual conversations. We need to be the conversation starters where God is already, we believe God's already up to something and we're just zeroing in on it. Our radar, we're tuning in to what God's already doing. I've had a couple of opportunities for spiritual conversations this very week. Last Sunday, I was on my way to church Sunday morning and I was like seven o'clock and I drove through Summer Moon to get a little coffee and I, I, I pulled up and, and this, this really nice young lady started serving my coffee and, or get, taking my payment and gave me the coffee. And she said, where are you headed this early on a Sunday morning? I said, we're headed to church. And she's, we started a conversation about church. And I said, where do you go to church somewhere? And she asked about our church. And, and we just had a brief spiritual conversation there. Now, uh, a second conversation was, I, I was on the phone this week with a Chase Bank representative. And we were dealing with unraveling a bunch of confusing things that had happened with some of our accounts. And so we got kind of near the end of our conversation. And I just said, hey, I'm sorry, this is so hard to figure out. And I, I, I had had trouble getting in contact with her and she'd had trouble getting in contact with me. And she said, oh, that's all right. That's all right. She said, I'm, I'm kind of a person that's convinced of, and I don't know how you would feel about this because you're a pastor, but have you ever heard of the mercury retrograde? I was like, um, mercury retrograde? No, what is that? And she started explaining it to me. And it's, it's actually an, uh, a, a, an astronomical illusion where a Mercury, the planet, seems like it's, it's going backwards. And it does that a few times a year. It's, and it's an illusion. It's still moving forward, but, but the speed of the planets are changing. And so it appears that it's kind of moving the other direction. And, and of course, astrologers uh, ascribe meaning to every planet's move, the sun and the, and the moon and the, and the planets. And then that means something for us here on earth, according to astrologers. And so she was starting to talk about this with me. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I'm going to uh, look that up and, and, and I'll, maybe we'll talk about it the next time we interact. I'm just telling you over and over again, 
there are opportunities for spiritual conversations. And I think we have to be the kind of people that will be looking for those opportunities. We need to embrace the future of our church, where we're coming out of the pandemic, out of the election season, out of all this stuff that we've been going through. As we come back into our buildings, I don't want us to go backwards. I want us to go forwards. When Sundays were taken from us, then that quarantine set in and that feeling of being isolated and limited. Fear began to dominate not only the headlines, but our own hearts. And all this in the middle of a very contentious and angry political campaign, we may have lost ourselves in the middle of this. We may have forgotten who we really are as a community of love, a family that has life in it, a, 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 a mission, a bunch of missionaries, a, a people that have been called on mission with Jesus, a beacon of light, a, a, a message of hope. This is who we are and we have to be the kind of people who will be attentive to what God wants us to do. So I'm introducing today Project 167. Project 167, write it down, say it out loud. Go ahead, Project 167. What it is, is an emphasis. It's engaging our faith through the other 167 hours of the week, not just Sunday. Engaging our heart and our life in what God is doing the other 167 hours of the week. And this is going to be a thing, like we're going to, we're going to eliminate the idea that the Sunday gathering is the defining characteristic of our faith. The Sunday gathering is important. It's not unimportant, but we've overemphasized it for a long time at the expense of the other things we should have been practicing throughout the week. And so at One Chapel, we're going to, we're going to shift those things. We're going to emphasize what's happening the other 167 hours of your week. And we still want to have great gatherings and presence-filled gatherings where we worship together and share the scriptures. But we got to embrace the way of Jesus by practicing our faith in greater relational ways and in greater community. And so this is going to last for the next year or so. Throughout 2021, you'll be hearing all kinds of things about Project 167. And here's, here's, here's how it's going to go. Here's a few things I want to highlight. Number one is spiritual conversations. We got to make sure everybody knows they're invited into this conversation, into the community. Meaningful conversations can happen anywhere and should happen anywhere. And we should be the best ones at it. We need to think creatively and attentively to start these conversations. And I want to equip us for those conversations. I want us to learn and grow together with tools and resources. And so we're going to come up with all kinds of things, articles that you can read and, and t-shirts that you can wear that start conversations. We're going to talk about messages that, that you, and stories that you can tell that how you can have conversations with people about the most important thing in their lives. Stories that you can share. This is not something that, just by the way, that I'm particularly good at. This is not something that I'm really talented at, but I'm going to learn along with you. We're going to learn together. We're going to do a greater and greater job at the 167 hours that we're not gathered together in our churches. And I think God is transforming us and refocusing our attention. And we're going to do this together. And then, and then, of course, the weekend gatherings, really important. We love Jesus with an unashamed passion. We invite people into these gatherings. And, and that's what Team One's doing today. They're, they're setting up the building where we're going to gather 
so that we can all do it safely and securely and with courage and confidence. And then there's something that I want to introduce to you. It's called Front Yard Fridays. Front Yard Fridays. Some of you have heard about it. You've, you've heard about Liberty Hill uh, establishing something called Front Yard Friday. But what it really is, is a place to create community in a greater way. We're too hurried in our schedule and in our busyness. We have been too isolated during this pandemic. We got to find ways that we're going to work together just being in an unhurried atmosphere, a place where we can rest and relax at the end of the week, one time a month. Check all that out at onechapel.com. You can find out where those gatherings are near your location, in your um, um, campus, in Kyle, in uh, Lake Travis, and in, of course, in Liberty Hill. And so, this is the next step for a bunch of you who are trying to figure out how to get into community again. This is the next kind of thing for it's safe enough. It's outdoors. It's safe enough for you to go and just be unhurried and have conversation and talk and, and have spiritual conversations about what's going on in your life. And that's supposed to lead, of course, to groups and community, all kinds of groups, all kinds of community being, being built, being pulled together, pushed together learning how to become a disciple together, sharing communion with one another in our homes, all that is part of the equation as well. But some of you are struggling to do that right now, and that's okay. But ultimately, that's where we have to go. Creating community means a, a weekly and often a daily routine where you know people and you're walking with them in your life. As we live together in unity and purpose, other people will begin to see Jesus. And they'll be invited to the community as well. And, and, and this is what you and I are called to as we have these conversations, changing, changing the world around us. One conversation at a time, one action at a time. Yes, we'll serve our schools. Yes, we'll preach the gospel on every continent. As a church, we'll send missionaries. We'll, we'll break bread with, with homeless people. We will do all kinds of things that Jesus himself did and that we should do. We'll lead worship in a, in there, around a bonfire on a starry night. Like there's just so many things you can do to begin to reach into other people's lives and encourage them to help them see who Jesus is and for you and I to live our lives with greater purpose. I think that's what we have to figure out. And as we change the world, the process starts all over again. Spiritual conversations emerge. You start walking with people and discipling them, and they start to follow Jesus in a way that you never imagined. And you walk along with them, and you have increased spiritual conversations because they're so curious. And so I want you to see that these spiritual conversations are the centerpiece of so many things. Spiritual conversations lead to introducing people to Jesus and spiritual conversations lead to helping people follow Jesus. I want us to relaunch our church this next week. Relaunch, and it is a relaunch. Like we're just starting over. Um, everybody, team one, the whole, the whole group starting over. Let's relaunch our church with a new focus on what Jesus has called us to do with a fiery passion that lives inside of us to change the world around us, to engage with the world around us. I want you to do that with me. And I want us to do 
all that God has in mind for our church and for our community. Will you join me in that? Will you join me in making Project 167 something that is really center, central in your mind and your focus, how you can exercise your faith, how you can reach out to people, and how you can love people the other 167 hours of the week? Come on, let's pray about that. Father, I thank you for your word and how we, we look at it, we open it up, and it shows us how Jesus brought the kingdom of God into this world. Lord, forgive us for thinking we could do it politically. Forgive us for thinking we could do it in an isolated way. Forgive us for backing out of what you've called us to. Lord, we want to be your people. We want to be your community of believers. And we want to be interested and we want to be attentive to what you're doing in people all around us. So Lord, forgive us, heal us, cleanse us, put us back together as we, as we relaunch One Chapel, as we relaunch into this new season that we're headed into. Help us to be the kind of people that will embrace one another, that will build real community, like legitimate, authentic community, and we will let that authentic community spill out into the rest of our city and into the extended community so that people can see who Jesus truly is. This is what we want. This is what we need. Lord, would you help us? Would you lead us? We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.